Today on Ag News Daily. What I would rather see to maybe try to make a bottom would be to get a bearish report, have that number be big, and then have the trade say, okay, that is probably the worst number that we're going to deal with. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And it is a happy Monday indeed. Delaney Howell here joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson, and also a new voice. For those of you who have tuned in with us over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that Madison Honkamp, our old intern, has left us to do bigger and better things. And we have a new intern joining us for the summer, Ashton Carr. Ashton. For those of our listeners who didn't get to hear that interview with you that we played a few weeks ago, tell us your elevator speech about yourself. Alrighty, well, um, my name is Ashton Carr. I'm a senior agricultural communications major at Texas Tech University. I'm from the great state of Texas, the Dallas area, and I'm super excited to join the team and see what this podcasting thing is really about. Fantastic. Well, we're excited to have you, Ashton. We're looking forward to keeping you on the team and learning and, you know, hopefully maybe getting exposed, all of us exposed to new areas in the world of agriculture because it is a fun industry that is always changing. I should say it's usually fun. Hasn't been a lot of fun for <laughs> pork producers or, or livestock producers in general over the time of this coronavirus, but hopefully we'll be working through that shortly. Yeah, fingers crossed that's the plan, but we've got to talk about some agricultural news. Ashton, we'll let you off the hook today for adding in your own agricultural news so you can learn how we do this thing here, but Mike, we've got to talk about agricultural news for our listeners. You bet, Delaney, and I want to jump in right off the bat because I think we've got some news here that is going to impact our industry. Uh, On Saturday, President Trump announced the United States this week will begin purchasing $3 billion worth of dairy, meat, and produce um, around the country, basically as a way to both address the drop in prices for farmers and as a way to supplement food banks, since they are continuing to struggle. His tweet said in full, quote, starting early next week at my order, the USA will be purchasing from our farmers, ranchers, and specialty crop growers $3 billion worth of dairy, meat, and produce for food lines and kitchens. Now, I bring this up because there has been a decent amount of pushback from this order. I have seen this both from livestock producers who say, look, there is already plenty of demand for beef right now if the U.S. steps in and buys $3 billion worth and they can't you know, fulfill their packing, but they can't run their lines at regular speed due to worker absenteeism. All that's going to do is push margins up higher for those packing plants. It's not going to trickle down to the the beef supplier on the end, you know, we're still, they're still stuck holding on to animals that don't have a hook to hang on. And I've seen pushback from a lot of restaurateurs who say that, look, we're trying to reopen right now. One of the biggest costs a restaurant has is rebuilding their food inventory. And so now it appears as though these uh, restaurants writing these big checks to restock their freezers and restock their coolers, they're going to be competing directly with Uncle Sam to buy goods. And it's worth remembering that under the Defense Production Act, which is now being utilized to keep crop packing plants open, any orders from the federal government take priority over any other orders. So if you're a grocery store or a restaurant that already has orders in place to buy some boxed beef or to buy some pork from Tyson or JBS or whoever, those orders will get pushed to the back of the line mm. as you know those plants, by law, have to fulfill these uh, purchase requirements. 
So there have been some calls on uh, President Trump to wait a little bit, maybe wait until a little bit later this summer when we've got these heavier animals that are moving into slaughter. We've got processing plants working at capacity. But as of right now, it appears as though Uncle Sam is going to dive in to the dairy meat and specialty crop markets with a $3 billion buy. Well, we also know that the USDA is gearing up to start dispensing funds for farmers affected by COVID-19. This is part of the phase one of the Stimulus Cares Act. And this is the money that's coming specifically from the CCC fund. So call it MFP3 if you want, whatever. They're not really putting a name on it other than it's a I guess it's a coronavirus relief payment is what this is called. But I believe if you signed up for either MFP1 or MFP2, you should already be cleared to get this next round of relief package from the USDA. I was reading through just some directives about this. It has background and all that stuff in there, but it says if you already filled out the CCC fund paper, which I believe is what you would have had to fill out for the MFP one and two, you should already be cleared. It should already go ahead and send either a check or directly into your inbox, but they are starting that this week. They're hoping to get checks cut now and send them out to farmers immediately. So right. we're still uh, we're still watching lawmakers figure out what they're going to do for this phase four of the stimulus bill, but checks are coming for sure for farmers. All right, keep an eye on those bank accounts. Might get a nice little bump there. And this would be specific to uh, grain farmers, right? It's on the same model as MFP. Yes, we think. we I, They really haven't released a lot of details about how it's working, but I think same kind of model as MFP or they've already concocted a new model. They really haven't said. And to be quite honest, there's so many other pools of money going on right now. It's a little confusing. Okay, all right, well. Keep an eye on it. Keep one eye on your bank accounts, one eye on your mailbox, and see uh, see which one a check ends yeah, up in. Right. Yeah. A pleasant surprise for some of our listeners. Right. Well, we've got an unpleasant surprise for exporters down in Argentina. One of the major, basically the Mississippi of Argentina is the Parana River, and it runs south through the uh, Rosario Grain Hub, where the Rosario Grain Exchange is. And uh, it is one of their main conduits for exporting, well, particularly soybeans. And as of right now, ships are not able to make the trip through the Piranha River because there was a collapse of the riverbank, which has obstructed the main shipping channel. And none of the experts, they've got dredges and everything working on it right now, but the experts don't know when normal operations will resume. So basically, this is limiting exports out of Argentina. Uh, ships can't leave. They can't get filled up. They don't have the necessary safety requirements. Piranha is the heavily fluctuating river. And with this obfuscation in the, in the shipping channel, there's just nothing they can do. So right now, in fact, one of these, uh, these ships coming through the Piranha River typically carries about 50,000 tons of grain. However, with this in place, they, you know, the ships have to be lighter to make it over this. They're only able to carry about 39,000 tons. So this could be limiting Argentinian exports at a time when they would normally be expected to ramp up as their harvest comes to a close might be beneficial for U.S. soybeans on the, on the global scenes. We'll continue to keep an eye on this. Well, I'm going to take things back to the funding scene because I think this is also important, especially if you're a farm considering applying for a small business loan or the economic injury disaster loan program that was specific to farmers. We had some complaining from 
some Democrats, especially Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, who really is leading this complaint, it sounds like, they're not happy that the Small Business Administration started restricting these loans specifically to farms only. If you remember, we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast. They're those grants of up to $10,000, as well as low interest loans. And last week they closed them off so only farms and farmers could be eligible to receive this. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said he doesn't like this, as well as quite a few other Democratic leaders who wrote a letter to the Small Business Association telling them basically they thought this was a load of crap and that everybody who was a non-farmer should also be able to apply for this loan, which makes no sense because they created this loan specifically for farmers since farmers couldn't get the first round of the Paycheck Protection Program loan. Right. Yeah, I guess I don't understand their objection. They created a farm program. Why would they open it up to non-farmers? It doesn't make sense. They, I, I really, qu- quite frankly, can't tell you why they're upset about this. Weird. No, it's, it's Washington. Who knows? I know. That's true. Huh, well, I know we've got a number of Canadian listeners. We are having more trouble on the beef processing front in Canada. Cargill has announced they're going to shut one of their Quebec beef plants. They say they do have a coronavirus outbreak. 64 workers have tested positive at uh, this plant in Chambly outside of Montreal. And uh, they are going to shut it down. They don't say how long. Um, they do are they they do say they're going to do a deep cleaning of the plant, and they're going to con- continue testing the rest of the workers to get a feel for the scope. I imagine once they get that stuff out of the way, then they'll announce uh, when this thing might reopen. But you know, one more ah, one more pain for our livestock producing friends. You know, this time up to the north of us. Yeah, and another pain that happened over the weekend was some freezing and cold weather conditions across part of the Corn Belt, which could be still happening in some parts of that area. I know we had some pretty cold temperatures in central Iowa, but we saw that really kind of blast across Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, northern and eastern Iowa, northern and eastern Illinois, and a few other areas as well. But expected to be some of the coldest temperatures on record for this time of year. And so there's some concerns. Of course, we'll see some crops have some damages and soft, some soft wheat in Ohio and some immediate other neighboring areas could have some permanent freeze damage. So the wheat market could see a little, little bump here if we do see that confirmed. I haven't had the chance to talk to any farmers yet to say to, to see if they had any damages as of lately because of this freezing condition. So farmers, if you live in these areas, you experienced some abnormally cold temperatures here over the past few days or are continuing to see those, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily and share some pictures or comments with us. We'd love to keep in the know. Absolutely. That's how we stay in the know. And Delaney mentioned wheat might be in the target there and soybeans definitely are as well. A lot of agronomists are watching this freezer frost event to see how exactly it plays out on these beans that have just recently emerged in a lot of places in the northern Corn Belt. Before we jump into the markets, I have just one other story because I've seen a lot of opinions floating around on Facebook and Twitter about this particular issue. And this is a report from Reuters. Uh, They dug into the export numbers. Of course, these are all public. It's not a secret thing. But over the past quarter, we exported a ton of pork to China, and those pork exports have continued. And folks are frustrated by this. They're looking at their grocery store. They're saying, hey, you know, we don't have any pork, or we're limited on our purchases of pork. Why are we selling pork to China? 
And I spoke with a uh, fellow connected to the pork industry and connected to the processing slide, the side of things. And he said, the fact that we're exporting pork to China is phenomenal news for our pork producers, because the issue we're running into in this country is that we don't have the capacity to cut pork carcasses into the cuts of pork that you buy at the grocery store. That typically happens at the processing plant, that pork is boxed up and it's shipped out. What we're shipping to China, by and large, is whole carcasses. So this is allowing slaughter plants to run at an accelerated pace. They don't need the workers to cut these carcasses up in this country, and we're shipping them all over to China, where the Chinese do have the labor force, now that their quarantines have been lifted, to package these, you know, cut the carcass up the way they want. And so basically the fact that we're exporting a lot to China, it's not directly competing with meat that was going to end up in our grocery store because we just wouldn't have time to process this meat. But it is allowing mm -hmm. us to get caught back up and to accelerate the, the drawdown of these uh, pork animals that are backing up on farms across the country. So it is a piece of good news, even if it's a little counterintuitive when we see the headline. Yeah, and I suppose that makes sense too, to consider that China does, it's usually whole hogs that they're bringing exactly. in. Whole hogs and feet and tails and stuff yeah. that you know, you're not gonna find at Costco anyway. You don't wanna eat it probably anyways. Well, you know, it's a different culture. Right. I'm not saying I wouldn't eat it, I'm just saying I'm not gonna order it. It's not my first choice. Yeah, exactly. Well, Delaney, what do you say? Tomorrow we've got the WASDI report. We've got a lot to yes. discuss when it comes to the markets. Should we jump into the markets before we hear from our good friend, Brian Split? Let's do it. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. You can uh, listen to our conversation with Brian Split. You can chat with any of the folks over there for some advice on managing your risk in these volatile conditions. Just check them out. The website's there in the name, agmarket.net. In the corn market, we saw a little bit of weakness today, some back and forth trade, but ended down. July was off three quarters of a cent at 3.18 and a half. December, down a penny at 3.34 and three quarters. Soybeans positive on the day. The July contract was up four and a half cents at 8.55 even. November, up three cents, closed at 8.58 and a half. Over in the wheat, Chicago, July, down four and three quarters at 5.17 and a quarter. December, down three and a half to finish at 5.30 and a quarter. Livestock were much weaker on the day. We saw limit moves in the deferred live cattle contracts, heavy losses in feeders, and moderate losses in hogs. June live cattle only down $1.9750, closed at 92.67 half. The August contract, however, limit down, down the daily $3 trading limit at 97.20. Feeder cattle, the August contract dropped $4.27.5 at 132.67.50. September down $4.10 to close at 134.05. Over in lean hogs, the June contract was off a dollar forty-two half at sixty twenty-seven fifty. July down a dollar twenty-five to close at sixty forty-seven fifty. Looking at the dairy market, their rally is back in play in Class Three milk. The May up sixteen cents at eleven seventy-one. Still not break-even for a lot of dairy producers, but moving in the right direction. The June, however, up seventy-five cents, closed the day at fourteen forty-three, highest prices I believe we've seen since December. So prices are definitely moving in a way that the, uh, the dairy producers would love to see, even if they're not quite there yet. Without further ado, let's delve into these markets with our good friend, Brian Split. For today's hashtag Market Monday, we are joined by one of the agmarket.net guys. We've got Brian Split on to chat markets with us, and we're definitely chatting at a good time this week, Brian, as we've got the WASD report coming out tomorrow. What are your big ticket items that you're watching before that report? 
Well, uh, I think that with this report, the general number that people are going to be somewhat focused on for the biggest of pictures is the new crop uh, carryout number. And um, this is the first official new crop carryout number from WASD that we get for the, the new crop marketing year. So um, that will be comprised of the planting intentions number that we had uh, from the report at the end of March, which is 97 million. Uh, that is the expected number. If it's other than that, then that would be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, typically, the USDA won't uh, adjust that number until we get the June 30th report, which is going to be the actual planted acreage number. Um, we're going to get a trend line yield. That's the typical number for this report. And I think the big numbers that are going to have the most effect on the change between everybody's assessment of what the carryout should be to start is going to be how the USDA addresses the demand profile for new crop. Uh, how do they take into account what's going on with the ethanol industry? Do they project that corn for ethanol is going to be uh, lower demand even into the new crop marketing year? Um, do we start using some stronger export numbers because of, of where prices are currently? And, uh, you know, what do the recent placement numbers uh, mean for potential feed use? Um, and do they address that now or do they back into it like they typically would and, and use it as a residual category? Now, Brian, the demand side of the question is a huge side of the question. Right now, the trade's average expectations for the carryout number for 2021 is 3.386 billion bushels. Is the trade going to take this seriously when there are so many questions in the air about the demand side? We have no idea what's going to happen with ethanol. Right. So um, I guess what I would rather see, and this is a, a weird way of maybe answering that question, but I would rather see a large number on the carryout now with um, some somewhat aggressive demand reduction already in the number than to get a number that looks like it would on a typical year and, and have people say, oh, well, that carryout actually isn't that bad. And, and maybe it looks bullish, but I think people are going to immediately question it. Where what I would rather see to maybe try to make a bottom would be to get a bearish report, have that number be big, and then have the trade say, okay, that is probably the worst number that we're going to deal with for the next six to eight weeks. Now let's try to price in that conversation that we seem to have every year, which is what if we don't get a trend line yield? Uh, what does that mean if we, you know, had a 175 or a 170? And we typically make some kind of a move uh, into a June, July high every marketing year when we have that conversation. Um, but I would much rather have that conversation after what looks like a bearish report. And if we can keep the July, for example, keep July corn from making a new contract low tomorrow after the numbers are released. So that means that we want to keep July above about 309. If we can hold those lows that we've been making since mid-April and get a bad report out of the way and, and hold those lows and maybe even close higher on the day on a bearish report, I think that'll make it look a lot more like we have indeed seen the lows. But until we do something like that, it's hard to come in with any sense of confidence and say, yeah, the bottom's in. Uh, all we know for sure is that we've gone down to a very important part on the chart and it is held so far. Now, Brian, when you look at acreage side of things, do you expect any surprises there? Are we going to see any corn acres shift to soybeans, soybeans to corn, maybe even some wheat acres pulling away or 
or two acres. The thing that I, I keep going back to, because I think, no, that's not going to happen, but it's, it's like we talked to farmers up in the Dakotas who still have 2019 crop that's not harvested yet. And it's like, well, are those guys realistically going to be able to get something in the ground for 2020? Or are they just going to take prevent plant? What's going to go on with those acres? Right. And I do think that that shift happens. I, I think that um, in, in North Dakota, for example, we could potentially lose two to two and a half million acres of corn, uh, depending on how weather uh, evolves over the next couple of weeks here. But uh, the question is, you know, will that be shown on the report tomorrow? Um, and I don't think it will. Um, you know, maybe at, at the earliest, they might do something in June if the conditions warrant it, similar to last year, but I don't think we're on, on that level yet. Uh, so I think that's more of a conversation to be had leading up to the June uh, quarterly stock and planted acreage report that we have at the very end of June. Um, that's when we're likely to see everything kind of come to fruition on the balance sheet for any any acreage changes that might come because of continued planting delays or be, because of uh, producers maybe switching from one crop to another based on the economics of what we're seeing versus, uh, you know, corn at 335, uh, soybeans at 860. Uh, when you look at the, the ratio of corn to beans, it, it's still suggest that that could be a potential part of the conversation moving forward. I just don't think it's part of the conversation for tomorrow. Well, utilizing the, uh, the planting intentions acres, taking a look at the soybean side of the balance sheet, you know, we are still figuring on large carryouts for both this year and next year, both old and new crop. But uh, if I don't have the numbers in front of me, I believe new crop carryout is expected to be smaller here than old crop carryout. Brian, how much can we bank on that demand coming to fruition? Right. So uh, I think a lot of this question, unfortunately, continues to hinge on this trade deal. Um, we've got the phase one of the trade deal done. And, um, you know, I, I read this afternoon that uh, there's now a concern that China and, and the Chinese officials may consider invalidating the phase one trade deal, uh, negotiating a new one to tilt the scales more to the Chinese side. Um, that was after President Trump uh, kind of hyped the anti-China conspiracy in their in their words, right? This is from the Global Times. Um, so, you know, that's going to continue to be a concern. But at the same time, you know, today we, we hear that China bought at least 240,000 tons of U.S. soybeans. Uh, and this would be for deliver, delivery in, uh, in mid to late summer. So we are seeing them procure soybeans. I, I tend to think that South America has already marketed uh, most of their, their crop um, from this year and a good portion of next year. So I, I'm a little on the friendlier side for soybeans. I think soybeans, uh, kind of the same deal for corn. If, if we don't have a number tomorrow that shoots us lower, I think July and November soybeans will be back up maybe 60 cents higher from here in short order up towards that 920 area. Um, we're seeing a little bit of Chinese demand come back in. I think when you look at the history of the USDA and what typically happens when they show us their first new crop carryout number on the May report, they historically overestimate. So as we get months down the road, uh, I, I think we'll be talking about carryout for new crop uh, and at least having the conversation of, you know, is it going to be closer to 300 million bushels than it is 400 plus? Uh, but uh, definitely a, a complete turnaround from what we were talking about just 
uh, a year ago uh, or two years ago when we were having these discussions of, of a billion bushel plus carryout for soybeans. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, I want to switch topics here and chat wheat. I mean, you look at really any of the wheat contracts, front month especially, doesn't matter if it's Casey or Chicago, but it looks like there's quite a few gaps building into those charts. What's going on with wheat? Why can't it find some footing? Well, we're going into a point here where uh, we've had wheat actually compared to corn relatively strong. We've seen some good rallies. Uh, We've seen the hard red contract uh, find some buyers uh, when we had the the concern about cold temperatures, uh, you know, months ago. Then we were pretty dry. Then we had uh, the cold spell in the soft red growing regions. But we are also going into harvest here shortly. So uh, unless we continue to see the crop conditions go backwards, and last week they actually improved in the hard red growing regions, um, it's going to be hard to to keep a, a strong rally as we go through harvest. Uh, if we can get a little bit of a story with corn and soybeans to, to come into the market and just have that rising tide lift all, all boats type of a rally, that'll potentially help wheat. But wheat has stayed so strong compared to corn that uh, it may bring about some unwinding of, of corn wheat spreads where if corn does start to rally, uh, they may start buying corn and selling wheat. So the only one that seems to be really interesting to me and, and more just because of how it opened up last night and what we did during the day, uh, the spring wheat did gap higher last night. We gapped higher over the 20 day moving average. So that market has just, it looks like it may want to do something and, and it could want to, uh, tack on 20 or 30 cents to go back up and retest some resistance there. So that's the the wheat I'm watching right now. Brian, before we let you go, I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the livestock markets. We saw the livestock markets really buoyed by the fact that meat production plants are going to be coming back online. There was talk that perhaps we're going to use that to be able to get this supply in the feedlots and in the finishing barns of hogs a little more current. And yet today we're seeing the deferred live cattle limit down. We're seeing heavy losses in feeders and uh, moderate losses in the hog markets. Are we just taking some profits here or is this an indication that maybe things aren't as rosy as the trade was anticipating last week? Right. So we had some good cash trade at some higher levels last week, but that's the very difficult thing about the live cattle market, for example, right now is Yes, cash traded there, but how much traded there and how long was it there for and who was able to sell uh, at that cash price? I have a producer here in Illinois where, you know, he was able to get two loads uh, priced on Friday afternoon, but that was all he could price. And then the buyer had to go call the next person. So they were trying to at least spread it out a little bit. But uh, when you've got a little bit traded at a price, but then the bid is just gone, then what what is the value? So at that very moment, it was worth 115, but after that, now there's no bid. So how do you keep up with a market like that? And I think the main thing is that we have to get to a point where the uh, the workers in the processing facilities are comfortable being at work and feel safe. And that is the, the norm. And once we're there, um, then I think we could look to the idea that we're going to continue to have uh, the, the ability to work through what's been backed up. Uh, but until we have that uh, confidence. I don't think this market's going to be able to maintain every rally that we see. And maybe with the market up limit two days in a row last week, it's healthy for it to kind of come back down, recheck some of those old highs that we were able to push through, you know, confirm that that's now support, 
And if we can do that, then maybe have a little something to build off of. But we put on a, an awful lot in just two days. So I think it makes sense for the market to pull back a little bit and revisit some of those levels before we hopefully go higher from here. It certainly does make sense, Brian. It's one of those things we have to keep watching for that back and fill action here in, in all the markets in this time of uncertainty. But as this time of uncertainty has created a lot of risks for agricultural producers, you are on hand to help them manage those risks. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they want to take advantage of uh, your services there at agmarket.net. Uh, right. So you can reach me di- directly at uh, 815-665-0463. Uh, if you want to talk to any of the team at uh, Ag Market, that's 844-4-AG-MARKET, 844-424-6758. Our website is agmarket.net. Fantastic. Brian Split, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and to fill us in on everything that's going on here in these markets. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Brian for joining us to chat today's markets. We certainly appreciate Brian joining us and appreciate the agmarket.net team for continuing to sponsor the Ag News Daily podcast. Absolutely. And we encourage all of you to check them out. And as always, check out our website. If you've missed any episodes or want to get caught up on what's happening in the ag industry, visit agnewsdaily.com or interact with us on social media. Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're there, and we want to hear from you. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 